0: Good morning, everyone. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, as we come before you this morning, as we continue our series on the epistle of John, and this, this wise old man, as he wrote this epistle, as he speaks to us through the ages, Lord, the elder, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what he has for us, Lord. Lord close our ears to any error that that I may speak. Lord, as we continue in this series, Father, um, Lord, I pray that it would penetrate our hearts and souls, that John's words would echo in our brains, that they would echo within us, that they would speak to us during the weeks, during the hours, during the minutes, Lord, that we would ponder them, we would meditate on them, Lord, that they would change us from the inside out, and Lord, that we would speak them to others, Lord, that we would enter into a practice of not just reading Scripture, but letting Scripture examine us, shine that flashlight into our hearts, into our souls, into our minds, that we would be not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Father, that we would be radically transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was um, I was in Hawaii, it was a tough, tough time being in Hawaii on a vacation. Um, I was swimming, and I, I grew up as a boy. Uh, I love swimming all the time. And when I was in Iran, we had a pool. And one of the things that I would do all the time, we didn't have a lot of kids on the street, had a couple kids from different countries that I would play with. And I loved to go in the backyard. I loved to jump in the pool and swim. And I would pretend to do all kinds of things in the pool. And so I grew up in the water. I I loved to swim so much that I felt like I became part of the water. I would love to just dive in. I would love to feel like I was part of the water. And so when I go to Hawaii or when I go to the beach, a lot of times I love to snorkel, And part of the things that I love to do when I snorkel is I just love to become part of the water, just kind of soak in it, dive down, feel it, feel what's around me. And so one of the days I was there, I was with my son and with my brother-in-law. I've got a lot of brother-in-laws. My wife is one of seven. All six are brothers. Poor girl. So you can, well, maybe poor me. She knows how to handle men and is very rough with guys, right? So um, she's a tough girl. So uh, anyway, so I'm out there with her brother. The, this is the Green Beret brother and then and, and my son, and we're out snorkeling. And um, it was a weird day. It was like one of those days where the water was super choppy, and I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean when it's heavy. And so this time the ocean was heavy, so water can have like different consistencies, and today it was that day it was heavy. And you could feel it on your lungs, and it was one of those days where you just couldn't get your full breath. And I was out there in the water, and there was a lot of chop. And I remember as we went around the uh, edge of this kind of um, it wasn't really a Peninsula but it was just kind of this, this kind of part that jutted out. It was just a slight part. And it got even choppier, and I was snorkeling, and some uh, wave got into my snorkel, which was kind of weird, because I had one of those snorkels that it shouldn't have done it, but it did. So I sucked in some water, I was coughing. So I got up and I treaded water, and a wave hit me in the face. Well, no big deal. The first time I'm coughing a little bit, and then the wave hits me in the face. Well, now that's kind of a big deal, but I'm not that big a deal. But the wave, the water was just kind of compressing my chest. So I'm like, ah, okay, whatever. So I put my mask back on. I get back in the water. I'm going to blow this out, and another wave hits my snorkel. So now this is the third time I've got hit. And now I'm like in the water with the choppy water and this. Now I'm getting a little bit panicked. But the worst thing you do in the water is get panicked. So you know you got to calm yourself down. So I'm calming myself down, and I clear it out, and I get a good breath, and then another wave hits me in the snorkel again, and another wave hits me in the face, and now I'm pretty panicked. Well, life can be like that, I think, a lot of times. And, and, and when things get rough, when we get depressed, I don't know if you've ever been in that. One of those times where something hits you in the snorkel in life, and it seems like it's annoying but no big deal. And then another thing hits you in the face. And then another thing, and another thing, and another thing. It didn't seem so bad at first, but it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And another, and another, until it piles on. And then all of a sudden, it seems over. Have you ever been in that kind of circumstance? And before long, you find yourself down, maybe depressed. Despair sets in, and you begin to lose focus. So where does a believer go when a thing like this happens, when you can't see your way out? Well, I would suggest a passage like ours this morning where the Apostle John bursts out with praise to the Father for the way that he sees us. And the way which the Father sees us may just shock you. 1 John 3, 1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So this declaration by the Apostle John is rather wonderful when you first read it. The sentence starts with see. And that's how John starts this. It doesn't always start that way in the Greek, but here he wants to declare this. See, behold, look at this. I want you to see what kind of love, and now the kind of love he says here is agape, not filia, not brotherly love. See what kind of agape, unconditional love the Father has for us, that we should be called the children of God. Fascinating way to start this. Now remember, there are no chapters in the original Bible, right? So this comes right after the last passage. The chapters were put in by a monk on horseback in England and a couple other people at different times, and so they're just kind of guessing. This was one letter. It would have been read to y'all, right? It would have been read uh, like by me as the, as the elder, and I would have just read the letter to you. And so it comes right after the warnings on the Antichrist. And remember, the Antichrists were not false teachers in the church. They were people who led you into secularism or into the world. They led you away from God. And so he leads and he talks about these antichrists, and then he leads into this section, and we studied that uh, the last couple weeks. He talked to us the last couple times, and you remember that, about people who seduce us by the teachings of the world. And at the end of all that, he left us with the assurance that if a person is living in Jesus... And lives, in the right, and lives in righteousness, and practices righteousness, they will be just fine. How do you defend yourself against someone who sucks you into the teachings of the world? That's what Antichrist is. That, that distinguishes them from a false teacher, or even another. So there's all kinds of wolves that come into the congregation. All kinds of destructive people that come into the congregation. But an Antichrist is a particular one that draws you out, that draws you into the world? How do, you, how do you protect against them? By living in Jesus, living in the Holy Spirit, and practicing righteousness, and you'll be just fine. Uh, it's after that that he breaks into this incredible praise about the unconditional love which he has given to you and to me. And this is a love which allows us to be seen as the children of God. And so John wants us to think about this, and he echoes in this passage the gospel passage which we read this morning. And particularly. The prologue, we read and we introduced into the prologue, and we, 11, uh, 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's what he says in the prologue. We gain this right to become the children of God through the act of, of faith. It's by the grace of God, but through the act of faith, we gain the right to become the children of God. Now this might seem odd to you. What does it mean to be a child of God? How many of you have heard everyone is a child of God? We hear that all the time. But when people say you are a child of God, what they mean is you were created in God's image, the imago dei, the image of God that's really not what Scripture means by a child of God. Just because you were created by God does not make you a child of God in Scripture. You see, in Scripture, being a child of God means you were adopted into the family of God, means you are a follower of God. It's a very different concept, biblically, than what it means to be a child of God. And that's what John is calling it. So it's just like an adopted child takes on the last name of their new family. You, when you come to Jesus Christ, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, take on the last name or take on the name of God the Father, and you have been adopted. Where do I get this? Is this, is this an absurd thing? Have I made this up? No, I get this from Romans eight fourteen to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And when they say it, by the way, in Greek or Hebrew, they use the masculine term to include all, male and female. That's just the way they use it. And so uh, are the sons of God. So read it as sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, meaning daddy. So Abba here is daddy. So uh, that's how we refer to a dad, right? So you now have the right to call God Daddy. Shocking way to address him. Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified. So notice that. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption as sons. So this adoption as the children of God is a bringing into the family of God where he receives us as his personal children. So this is radically different than simply being created in his image. So many folks think that being, uh, that being made in the image equals children of God, but here it's being adopted into his family, makes you a child of God. Many folks would think that simply because I'm made in his image, that would be enough for me to be okay with the man upstairs when I die. That'll be enough for me to get into heaven. Well, I mean, no one really thinks that. Most people think that right? I mean, we don't really think that about a serial killer. We wouldn't think that a serial killer would get to heaven, or maybe like the leader of a genocide. We wouldn't think that like a leader of a genocide would get into heaven, or maybe like the worst dictator out there who killed all kinds of people who did like a horrible thing. Like the worst criminals you can think of, we would think that maybe they wouldn't make it to heaven, but we would like think that all the other people who are in the image of God would get to heaven, right? That's kind of how we all think, and that's That's kind of the belief that so many people have out there today, right? If we're going to ask generally, and I've been around people when we share our faith and when we talk about faith, how do you get to heaven? And most people will say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't murdered anybody or done other things. I should kind of get there. And so people think, well, we've been adopted into the family or we are children of God and so we're pretty good. But here's the thing. Where else in our lives do we think that this kind of uh, excuse works? Like, I would posit that the next time a police officer pulls you over on the road to give you a speeding ticket, you try this line. Mr. Officer, I never murdered anybody. I think I should get out of this ticket. Or if you had multiple affairs on your wife, try this. Honey, it's not like I'm Fidel Castro and killed 100,000 people. We should just move on, right? Or at work, yes, boss, I stole $10,000, but it's not like I'm Pablo Escobar, one of the worst drug dealers who ever lived, I mean drug kingpins who ever lived. Right, we don't think about this and we don't try to get by with this excuse in any other aspect of our lives, and yet somehow people in our culture think that this will work with God. But that's not how God works, right? Right? It's not how adoption works. God says, if you want to come to him, there's a process. You have to come through faith and repentance and drawing unto him. And this is what this adoption process is. It's turning away from the ways of the world and then drawing unto him. Everyone can do it. It's not like only certain people can do it. Anybody is available to do it, but you've got to leave those ways. And then what he says, and that's what John is saying, this glorious right you've been given to call God daddy. And it's a shocking terminology here. It's a shocking terminology. You've been given the right to call God daddy. Can you imagine such a thing? He says that God makes us techna in the Greek, or a child of God. Now, calling a God or being seen as a child of God and calling God daddy might seem odd to you if you've grown up in a formal church. Maybe you've grown up with the King James Bible and you think of things formally. Or maybe you've grown up in a, maybe a Baptist church or a King James only church where you've read this formal language and you think that God needs to be approached in a formal way. But I would submit to you that when you read scripture, where do you find Jesus hanging out? He's not hanging out with the people in his day who speak formally. He's not hanging out with the elites and the sophisticated people. He's not hanging out with the kings and the rich. He's not hanging out with all the intellectuals. He's not going up to Caesar. He didn't do any of those things. He was hanging out with the normal folks. He was hanging out with the blue-collar folks. He was hanging out with partiers and prostitutes he was hanging out with the people who needed help he says and so i would submit to you that if god almighty was hanging out with those people how do you think he was speaking to them he was not speaking to them in the aramaic equivalent of these and the ousts and dysts he did not expect them to come to him with formal language He loved them and met them as they were. And he meets us as we are. And that's a tremendous way. It's a tremendous revelation, I think, when you understand that. It's a freeing concept. When you begin to understand that that's how God sees us and that that's how you can approach God and that this is the love that God has, you begin to understand why the apostle speaks to us in this manner. Why he says, this is the joy. See what kind of love the God, that the Father has for us. You also understand why the apostle himself writes in a simple Greek. His Greek is not complex. It's easy for everyone to understand. He wants you to understand simply and easily who this Jesus is and to have a relationship with him. When you go to God in prayer tonight and this week, understand that you don't have to have a formal knowledge. You just have to speak simply. Tell him where you are, what you're dealing with, The good, the bad, and the ugly. There's nothing you can't go to God with. And in your darkest hour, no matter if that darkest hour is self-inflicted or others inflicted, whether it has to do with illness because of Mother Nature, whether it has to do with ugly family things, external things, you can approach the throne of your daddy in heaven and speak to him and ask for his help. You can give your life to him, and he will intervene. Not always, and I can't promise that it's always going to be in the ways that I want, but he's always answered. Ask him, seek him, give your life to him, and there is transforming love. And that's what John is talking about. See what kind of love that the Father has for us that we will be called the children of God. It is a powerful passage. And he ends with, Beloved, in 1 John 3, 2 through 3, We are God's children now, and what, will we, what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The glory of what we will be is not yet, John says, but we will be what Jesus is when he appears. It doesn't mean that we will be God, but we will be whatever Jesus is in human form in heaven. That's what we will be. We will gain a new body to host this renewed spirit, which our body currently houses. That means if you're depressed because of this broken body, there will come a time when this body will not be. And John gives us the hope of that which to an old man writing this letter is a tremendous rejoicing. He's reminding us that this isn't all that there is. And so no matter what is going on in your life, when we give it to God, we understand that this too shall pass and that we are living for more than the here and the now. And we also take solace in that. It also helps us and reminds us to keep perspective on this life and to understand and to focus on what's the main thing. And the main thing are those around us. We people are eternal creatures. We don't live for the things of this world. We live to make a difference in people because they'll be with us eternally, not this stuff around us. Amen? Amen.